Ever feel like you could use a little more knowledge in your life? Well, then absolutely check out Word of the Day with Comedians. I'm your host, Dead Air Dennis Mallon, and I chat with comedians to learn about new words. Recently, we discussed preemptory penises with Alex Malt, who's obsequious with Mary Kennedy from Shameless, and the original meaning of Yen with J.T. Haversat, and Tookie Cavanaugh teaches us all the meaning of opine. Check out Word of the Day with Comedians wherever you listen to this podcast, and I guarantee you it's the funniest way to expand your vocabulary. Now let's get the party started with good people, cool things. Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Dan Greenberger, author of the book, The Boys Next Door, a novel about the Beatles. Dan has also worked for CBS, creating trailers, features, and comedy videos for some of your favorite CBS shows, How I Met Your Mother, Everybody Loves Raymond, Survivor, so much more. So we're talking a lot about creativity in this episode and the creative process, all of that good stuff. Has Dan listened to six million hours of the Beatles in preparation of writing this book? Maybe not exactly, but definitely did a lot of research, and that is evident throughout the book, any kind of historical fiction work. It's good to do your research. Kind of a good rule for life, too. Just always making sure that you are uh, being accurate when you're talking about real things. We're also chatting just a little bit, a little bit about life in Hollywood. Some of the unwritten stuff that Dan has that he perhaps one day will bring out into the world. But as any writer knows, you're writing a lot of stuff that may never see the light of day. And even just doing that is still a fantastic creative process in and of itself. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out via email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, GPCT Podcast for all of that good stuff. And as always, I appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Get on over there. It's just a simple, simple like one click and then five stars. Blows up on your screen. It's fantastic. It's magical. Just like this conversation with Dan. To kick things off for people who aren't familiar with you and your work, can you tell us your name and elevator pitch? Can you also tell us the kind of elevator that we're riding on? Yeah. (laughs) Well, my name is Dan Greenberger. I am a TV writer by trade, and uh, I've recently had my first book published, which is a novel about the Beatles called The Boys Next Door which is kind of a historical uh, historical fiction. It's kind of uh, what I imagined it would have been like if you had been there back when they were just starting out their career, uh, their, their famous gig that they did in Hamburg in 1960. And uh, it's always been sort of a, a part of their story that's fascinated me. And, and uh, so that's, that's why I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Was writing a book something that you had always wanted to do? You know, not really. Um, I think I think part of it was that, you know, in, in Hollywood, it's gotten very difficult to write about things that you want to write about, you know? And, and uh, I mean... <sighs> If, if I wanted to write about, you know, superheroes and, and uh, Marvel 
comic universes. There's there's plenty of work for that. Um, and you know, it was it was also yeah, it was it it can be frustrating because of that uh, writing in Hollywood and writing original stories and original things. And uh, this was just an idea that I had that I thought, oh, there's there's no way in the world that that uh, you know the movies are going to go for this, even though I'm still hoping they do at some point. But but even just to get a script like that read is is getting harder and harder. So I just thought. I've got enough great scripts, you know, lying in my desk that nobody will ever enjoy. And this is an idea that I think people really will enjoy. And so I'm just going to get it to an audience in the most direct way that I can. We'll dive into the book in a minute, but now I'm curious, what's one of those scripts in your desk that no one would enjoy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'd enjoy it. No, it's just, <laughs> you know, I I moved to uh, to Hollywood about 25 years ago and um and i was i was briefly a hot writer you know um i i very quickly when i moved here got onto staff of of a tv show and it was it was a pretty prestigious one at the time it was a guy named steven bochko i don't know if you if you remember that name but he was one of the great tv writers and producers uh he did a lot of police shows. He did Hill Street Blues and uh, NYPD Blue and um, Saint Elsewhere and and uh, I, actually I'm not positive he did Saint Elsewhere. Anyway, he definitely did NYPD Blue and a bunch of others like that. So so I, I got on I got on shows like that and I was writing uh, you know that stuff for a while, but. Um, once you've been, you know, sitting on the shelf for a while, <laughs> it, it gets hard to generate interest and excitement in your work. And, um, and so, you know, I've, I've kept a foot in, um, in network television, but, uh, as far as writing original things, uh, yeah, that, that was, that I've sort of been looking for other ways to again get my, my stuff to an audience. I'm not sure that I actually answered your question, um, <laughs> but no, the question was, oh yeah, no. So yeah, I have I have some some screenplays that I've written. I have a bunch of pilots that I've written, um, and you know, it's it's kind of life as a writer in Hollywood that some of them come close, some of them you get a meeting on, some of them get somebody really interested, and then something falls through. So. You know, it's it's not unusual at all for a writer to have a bunch of stuff in their desk that that uh, that frustratingly no one will will probably get to see. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of what led me to to write a novel. Yeah, the amount of words that have been written, typed, uh, scribbled, scrawled, whatever the case yeah. may be, uh, is <laughs> is yeah, like you said, frustratingly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. high sometimes <laughs> yeah no and it's and it's very easy to see you know the people because i i certainly know people who who have done well uh writing in hollywood and and you know i've i've done just fine I and mean, i really can't complain um but you know there's very few who really make it to the point where all of hollywood is waiting to see their next script you know there's like there's aaron sorkin um, there's Quentin Tarantino and, you know, the list beyond that is not all that long. 
Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a tough way to make a living. And, uh, you know, I've been able to find a lot of different areas of the business that I can work in. And, uh, and as I say, I mean, it's, it's all been very good. So I shouldn't, I really shouldn't complain as much. It, it sounds like I'm complaining a lot, but, but, um, I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky in many ways and yet still frustrated in many other ways. Sounds like life in general. Like it's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. I, I think when you live in Hollywood, you know, you, you sort of fall into the trap of believing in the Hollywood version. It's like, oh, believe in my dreams and all my dreams will come true. And, uh, and it, it has been known to happen, but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's hard to come by. Well, maybe that's uh, before we, we jump into the book, then I always like to ask a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And mm-hmm. I always say it's because it's less work for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, I just like it's fun. It's fun to have it. Uh, and for you, I, I liked how can a person with creative ambitions survive a career in Hollywood? So someone mm. who's been out there for a quarter century, how do you yeah. do it? Well, you know, one, one good piece of advice that I got when I moved here was that, um, you know, the field of entertainment is a very big one. And there, there are, you know, parts of it and neighborhoods of it that, that I don't even know exist. Um, but the longer you're here, the longer you look around and see, oh, I, I guess I could do that. Um, what the way that I make my living right now. So I, you know, when I started out, I did kind of my specialty as far as writing was comedy. And I, and I worked on sitcoms and, and comedy shows and talk shows and things like that. Um, what I got into about maybe 10 years ago is writing uh, trailers and promos for, uh, for TV networks. So that's, you know, like Monday on an all new Survivor or on an all new, you know, I worked on How I Met Your Mother, for instance, for a long part of its, well, actually for the whole part of its run and Two and a Half Men and, and uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's dozens of others that I've worked with on CBS. And so what's nice about that is that, is that you know, as a creative person, um, I think, you know, my, what I always tell people is just try to be making something. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in Hollywood who make a living, you know, giving notes and developing things. And helping move a project forward. But I don't think that that's what a really creative person does. I think when you're, when you really, you know, want to be creative, what that means is you want to make things. And what I really like about my job, I mean, it's, I, is I, I make little videos all day long and um, you know, they're only a couple minutes long. Sometimes they're 30 seconds long. Sometimes they're 20 seconds. But every day I'm making something new. Um, I'm starting, you know, with a, with a blank page and filling it up. You know, I, I write a script for it. I then get on my Avid and I edit it together and I bring in music and sound effects and there's timing and telling a story you know you're trying to tell a story in as short as 20 seconds and i think that has been that has been kind of a a salvation for me because 
um, that really is just what makes me happy is, is making things. And, and I'm sure there are people, you know, I don't want to knock people who, who develop scripts and are, or their agents or they give notes or whatever. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of satisfaction to be had from that too. But I just know for me, what makes me happy is making something. And, and that's what I do and that's what I get paid for. So that, that's my advice to people who, uh, who want to survive a creative life in Hollywood. Just figure out somewhere, some way where you can make things for a living. Have you found that your sort of the creation of all of these, because like you're saying, sometimes it's as few as 20 seconds that you have mm. to tell a story. And I'm thinking a show like how I met your mother, where it seems like every episode has a callback to something else or a yeah. flash forward. That's addressed like two seasons down the line. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, like all of those sort of like interweaving things. So did working on that help when you were writing a novel of kind of keeping all of these different sort of storylines together yeah i mean i think so i mean it's it certainly you know everything every good show that you work on you'll you'll learn something from just in the way they they tell a story and the way um you know all the all the different ways there are to tell a story and all the different tools you have at, at your disposal and how i met your mother was was a really really original show in that sense i mean for for a network sitcom they really kind of, you know, broke the rules a lot and figured out new ways of telling stories, new ways of being funny. And yeah, so I certainly learned from all of that. Um, but yeah, you also do learn, you know, with doing these, these 20 second uh, promos, you know, how to really figure out, okay, what's really important here? You know, what's the thing that will that will set up the joke, that will set up the story, that will give you, you know, make you want to tune in and see, oh, well, how does this resolve itself? Um, and, and so it, it gives it kind of an urgency, I think, that, that you learn how to, you know, cut to the chase and learn what is, you know, what is important in telling a story and what isn't. You know, the, the other, another story that I tell people is that, you know, my training was actually in playwriting and I got a, I got a degree. It was a, a master's degree in playwriting at Columbia. And one of the assignments that we had there, it was to take a Shakespeare play and cut it down to a half hour. And then, you know, not only cut it down to a half hour, but then cast it and perform it. So, so that, you know, if, if you're going to make it work, it, it really has to work. You know, you can, you can, uh, you know, cut all you want, but you have to, you know, you're, you're going to find out on opening night whether you have told the story in a way that's interesting, that makes sense, that, that you know, is, is uh, uh, intriguing, uh, or whether you've lost your audience completely. And in a weird way, that exercise has probably helped me more than anything in my life because that's kind of what I do for a living now. You know, it's, it's figuring out how you take this big, ungainly story and, okay, I, I trim a little here, I trim a lot there, I take the, oh, wait, now if I take that out, then that's not going to make sense when I go, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it's a lot of condensation and, um, 
and and so yeah, that that served me well. And and yes, to answer your question, I think I think that definitely helped me as far as as writing the book and telling stories, you know, in whatever form that I'm that I'm telling them now. And I think that Shakespeare creative exercise again ties back to how you can make a living doing creative things. I don't know if you're familiar with the Reduced Shakespeare Company, but yeah, they yeah, yeah. I I believe have multiple troops. I think maybe initially were in the UK. That's where I at least oh. first heard of them. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I remember oh, yeah, my and yeah, the, I, and I was going to say they yeah. they play in Los Angeles. Too. Yeah. Yeah, they I my my introduction to them was a family trip to London and I must have been like 15 or 16 and I just remember I heard like just a real brief premise of it and I remember thinking this is dumb. I don't want to go to this. Uh, this is mm-hmm. going to be the worst night, you know, why we have to dress up. Like I don't like any of this. <laughs> uh and within like 2 minutes I was like, "Oh no, I was totally wrong. This is hilarious." And yeah. it, I it is that you know, they do the entire works of Shakespeare in what an hour and 45 minute show Uh, and it's just fascinating to see how they break it down and yeah again like i think i think the the ability to tell a story is such a unique skill and and not everyone can do it super succinctly or even super well and when you do see it uh performed really well um you know in whatever format it is i think it's just so like reaffirming that you're like oh okay like you know it when you see it yeah yeah well i mean it's like it's like they always told us back in back in drama school that you know the word playwright uh it's not w-r-i-t-e so you don't write a play but you you build a play you know like a wheel right or like uh rot i i i forget where else the word shows up but yeah you know what i mean i mean it's, it's like you have to make this skeleton you have to assemble it so that it stands up and and that's how you that's how you build a story you don't just write words from one to another you build up this framework and this this structure that you can hang all the words and characters on love it love it now we'll finally jump back to the book uh, just just bouncing all over the place mm, here okay. um, I, yeah, yeah i have a i guess it's kind of a two-parter question so number one while I, I always like to hear about like while people are writing, are you like a I need silence? Were you listening to the Beatles the entire time during this? Did you have something else going on? What was that that experience like? Um, no, I mean, I I certainly read a, a lot about the Beatles beforehand and and during. But you mean literally like while I'm sitting down typing away, what's what's going on in the in the room? Yeah, do you have? Uh, I'm trying to think, like any time at all playing in the background or, or anything like that. <laughs> no, you know it's funny because I, for years and years, and like all through my career uh, as a writer, I would always I was very traditional. I would sit at a desk. Um, yeah, usually no no music at all. I, I like it if I've got a nice little view out a window. Um, but then I, I have a daughter who who you know, went through college recently. And I would watch her, um, you know, doing this, this very complicated kind of schoolwork. I mean, she was a chemistry major, so it was way, way over my head. And, and she, would always, she would always have the TV on while she was doing it. And, and it kind of fascinated me. And I thought, oh, well, you can't really work like that. But then I actually started doing that. And, <laughs> and I think with with this book, 
I wrote pretty much the whole book with a TV on in the background. With I'm not I'm not watching it, but it's sort of like ambient, you know, very low sound. The volume is very very low, and I'm watching either a baseball game or a football game, and not paying that much attention to it. But it's just something to sort of rest my eyes on while I'm thinking about what is the next sentence. So I kind of changed in my life. <laughs> I went from being very, you know, very much like a student sitting upright in a hard wooden chair and, you know, feeling uncomfortable and spitting out the words. And now I'm sort of laying back on a couch with TV on and, and writing a novel. And it, it seems to work just as well. Yeah, that seems very soothing. I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you mentioned a lot of research going into the Beatles for this as well, which as a historical fiction book, I think that's a a very important element to have. Uh, Mm, And were you, did you want things to be like pretty, pretty much like spot on as to how and when they happened? Or did that kind of like evolve over the writing process? Or were you like, hey, I'll take some liberties? Because a lot of the, the characters are are real people um, that you're writing about. So what sort of like, I'm trying to think of a better way besides creative liberties, but maybe that's the best way to put it of what, like what kind of creative liberties did you take in bringing these characters into the, the story that you were writing? Well, kind of my rule was that I was not going to take any liberties at all as far as the Beatles themselves were concerned. Because, you know, their lives have been so well documented. And even, you know, those, those three months, I mean, my book takes place over, over three months in 1960 in Hamburg, Germany, when they were nobodies. But you can, you can read anything at all about that and, and find out exactly what happened from day to day. I mean, I always say if, if, if you, you know, the Beatles have been so well documented, if you wanted to know what John Lennon ate for breakfast on <laughs> April 5th, 1967, somewhere there is a book that will tell you. I mean, they, they were literally that well documented. So I, I knew that, that if I was going to write this book about them starting out in Hamburg, if I didn't get the facts exactly right, the Beatles fans would, would like, you know, hang me from the nearest tree. Because they're they're pretty they're pretty strict bunch, you know. They're very loyal, and they say, "Oh no, 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 no." John didn't play, you know, the Rickenbacker in you know by 1960. He hadn't. He only bought that in May of 1960. So in April, he would have been playing a different guitar. So I had to I had to be very very careful to get all those facts right. But in a way, that was that was really nice because. That was sort of my structure. That was, you know, you talk about building the story. So that nice little structure was all in place for me. And what I did was to bring in one fictional character, which is the, the narrator of the book. And him, I can make up anything at all. And, and most of the story goes on in his head and his reactions to things and, and how he's, he's reacting to the Beatles and how he's getting to know them and, and his relationship with. Um, so all of that I made up, but, but what was happening from day to day in Hamburg, in the world of Beatle, of the Beatles, I was, I was very, very strictly adhering to that. 
and you're the the narrator is a college student did you pull from your own college experiences for that obviously you weren't living next door i don't think to any uh rock bands right. but <laughs> i mean who knows who knows maybe uh, but <laughs> even even in a historical fiction setting like i i would imagine at least this is just based off my own writing like i'm definitely pulling from experiences either that i've had or that someone else has talked to i know when when my book of short stories came out people would always ask like oh what you know which one's based off me like what character's based off me and i would always just tell them whatever your least favorite character is yeah so that's the one that's based off you nice <laughs> uh, so did Good you pull answer. did you pull, thank, you, thank you you get asked it enough you come up with a nice default yeah yeah well, i'll remember that <laughs> so were you were you pulling from from some of your own experiences or or was it yes. just like a you know yeah absolutely and and you know it, it was it was very liberating for me because having written in Hollywood for so long um, there's not a lot of writing about yourself that that you do you know it's it's um, you're you're working most of the time someone else's show someone else's characters um, and and yeah you can you can lift you know and obviously that's that's always the best place to pull from is your own experience. But with this one, because it was a college student, which I was many, many years ago. Yeah. I think it was much more about me than, than anything I've, I've ever written before, which is ironic because I'm, I'm trying desperately to sell it as a book about the Beatles, (laughs) but my, my dirty little secret is it's really a book about me. And, and really the way that that manifests itself is that when I was in college, that was kind of when I discovered the Beatles. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really into them as a kid. I mean, they had, they had broken up by the time I, I, you know, was a kid. I mean, they were together for a very short period of time when I was alive. But I really started discovering them, you know, like my last year of high school and then when I got to college, I was just, I was all about the Beatles and I was really discovering them and I would listen to their music all the time. So in a weird way, the, what, what uh, my character in the book goes through is he's somebody who, who doesn't really pay much attention to rock and roll. He, he has no use for these four hooligans or actually five hooligans from Liverpool who were living next door to him. But gradually he gets pulled into them and he becomes an enormous fan in much the same way that I do. And, and it, was, it was really fun. I mean, I loved, I really had a great time writing about myself in that way. Because as I say, it's something that I never really did all that much. But, but um, that's the, the book that I'm working on right now is, is very much about me. And, and this time I don't have the Beatles, you know, to, <laughs> to help me along. And it's, it's a little lonely without the Beatles there to help me, but it's, uh, it's, I, I do enjoy sort of revisiting my life and my experiences and, and writing about them and, and making sense of them to me. And, you know, they always say about writing, if, if you write about yourself, you, you, and your own experience, you find that that really rings true to a lot of people because because it's it's reality and what happened to you and the way you feel about things and the relationships that you've had in your life are remarkably similar to the relationships and experiences that other people have had as well 
Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic reminder in general of, of any kind of storytelling that it, it is like what is truest to you is going to yeah. come across and, and be the most uh, lapped up thing by the audience. Yeah. I was trying to think of a more graceful way to say that, but yeah. the, the thing that, you know, the want to the wanna eat up um, and all of that. And I think, I think that's super, uh, super interesting and, and having the, you know, the Beatles as kind of a backdrop for it. And I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, have you found there's, I mean, I, like you're saying, there's so many articles and stories and, and documentaries and whatnot. Obviously, Get Back, I, I believe, is the most recent one. Maybe mm. there's been another one yeah. since the last two months. Right. But yeah. uh, have you found that there are um, like spikes of interest in the book when you when when something like that comes out? Oh yeah, well no, definitely over like uh, over Christmas, which was just about when Get Back, I think, opened. Um, and yeah, yeah, that, that was a, that was a very good time for, for book sales <laughs> and, you know, combined with Christmas and, you know, it's like a gift for the Beatle fan in your life and that sort of thing. So yeah, that, that was, that was very good. That, that, that documentary did, was, was very helpful. And <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, cause the Beatles have been putting out product for, you know, 50 years, you know, since, I mean, you know, 50 years since they stopped recording and they're still putting out product. And, um, and every time they put out some product, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, there will be another mini resurgence in the Beatles and, and more people will discover them and more people will discover my book. Cause really it's all about me. Yeah. That's really the most important part. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I remember in uh, college taking an evolution of rock music class. Mm. I, mm-hmm which I believe actually it might've just been called evolution of rock. So occasionally people would think I was really into geology and uh, it's not sadly not that class, but uh, the, uh, the professor that was supposed to be teaching it maybe three or four days before the course started, I resigned just like unexpectedly. Mm. So they put, uh, they had a jazz teacher and he just came in and he, told us on the first day he was like hey i was just thrown into this and i don't really have a curriculum so i think i you know i have a lot of experience with music so i think the way i'm going to teach is just play you music and Ooh, then we'll talk wow. about it and wow i how, how do i sign up for that i know it was fantastic <laughs> and the I, I think for the most part we spent you know maybe half a class or you know sometimes just like five or ten minutes on any given artist, but with the Beatles, it was about two weeks of mm. spending time on just because there's so much to to go through, and yeah. obviously they had a big influence on a lot of other people. Uh, and then mm. the the final exam I remember was just he'd play like 30 songs, and you just had to name the artist. You didn't even need to know the name of the song; it was just name the artist. And thankfully, my parents they both grew up in the 60s, so they're I uh, you know they were very big on on uh, that era of music and and you know, hearing, I was hearing it from a really young age. So I knew a lot of the songs already, but it was cool to hear some of the backstories around it. But I was just like, this is the greatest final exam I've ever taken. Yeah. I, I wish all of life was that easy. <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I've always, I've, that's sort of been one of my fantasies is I would love to teach a course in the Beatles because I, uh, you know, having, having learned so much about them and listened to so much of them over the years, um, and yeah, that's always been sort of one of those one of those bucket list things I would love to, to someday do. We're gonna put but, that. But, we're gonna put it out into yeah. the universe. 
to make okay. it happen. All right. Out it goes. Excellent. Out it goes. Excellent. We'll check back in in a couple years as you're leading okay. a, a course with a 400-person right. <laughs> waiting list. And it's going to be great. And in yeah. fact, that actually <laughs> might segue pretty nicely into our top three. Mm-hmm. You're almost off the hook here. But uh-huh. obviously, lots of Beatles songs out there. I'm, mm. I'm, right. I feel like I read a, a ranking of all the Beatles songs not super long ago. And I want to say there was like 200 12 songs maybe 213 something like that yeah i don't know if that's the exact number apologies to all the beatles purists listening yeah. who, who can <laughs> rattle them all off but right. i i'm asking you to pick i mean what is this like half of a percent of all the songs of just your mm. top three beatles songs of all the songs out there top three well this is yeah it's always it's always a problem for me and, and it actually did come up a lot because you know as i've been sort of pushing this book, uh, I do get asked that a lot. And, and I, I've never been able to just pick one. And, and, there's, and there's a good reason because, all right, I would say probably the song that, that has given me the most joy over all the years that I've been listening to it is probably Here Comes the Song. Just because it's, it's the, the song that I would put on when my girlfriend broke up with me college and like i'm really sad i'm really sad but it's gonna get better the sun's gonna come out and you're gonna and you're gonna get over this and and that song would just cheer me up and it got me through all sorts of really bad sad times in my life so i really do love that song now the reason why i have trouble saying that that's my favorite beatles song is because i really do think that the beatles were lennon and mccartney i mean obviously George was great, Ringo was great, but but it was the Lennon-McCartney partnership that really made the Beatles and it made them this phenomenon that, that conquered the world. So I feel like I have to have one John song and one Paul <laughs> song. So my John song is She Said, She Said from Revolver. I'm not quite sure why. I just love the guitars in it. I love the feeling of it. I love... There, there's, a, there's a cool story behind it, too. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. It, it involves Peter Fonda. You ever heard that one? I have not, no. Oh, okay. Well, well they, the Beatles were in Los Angeles, and they were, I think this was like, you know, 65, 66. And they went to a Hollywood party at, uh, at some, some movie star's house. And... Um, that I think that is where one of them or maybe two of them first tried LSD. And, um, and Peter Fonda was there also doing LSD. <laughs> <laughs> and I think George Harrison, as I remember it, was, was freaking out a little bit because he was, you know, it was his first time. And, you know, it's like, wow, what's happening? Where am I? Am I going to live through this? And, and Peter Fonda came over to them, to, to all of the Beatles and said, oh, no, don't worry about it, man. I know what it's like to be dead because I had a near-death experience when I was young and, and my heart actually stopped beating. So I know what it's like to be dead. And it's not like this. And you'll get through this and you'll be okay. And, and John Lennon supposedly turned to him and said, would you shut the fuck up? We are trying to enjoy this nice day with this nice party. 
and you're talking about being dead and just stop it. And, and that's what turned into, she said, she said, and you know, what I love about what Lennon did is that, it, that he made it about a relationship with, with a woman. It's like, she said, not Peter Fonda said, but she said, so it, it becomes something about a relationship. It becomes, you know, somebody's pessimistic. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, I, I just love that song. Um, my favorite Paul McCartney song is another sort of odd one. It's from um, Abbey Road, You Never Give Me Your Money. Hmm. And it's another one that it's hard to say exactly what it's about, but there are just some lines in it that, that just really resonate for me and uh, some melodies and some sections of it that I just think are absolutely gorgeous. And uh, so, yeah, that's, th- those are my top <laughs> Sorry, Ringo, I didn't get to <laughs> Well, Ringo's playing drums on all of them, so it's fine. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's yeah. right. He's getting his due that way. <laughs> Even though, you know, I found out that she said, she said, and I felt very guilty when I found this out, that Paul McCartney does not play on that song because one of, one of the many fights that the band had was had that day, and, and he was the one who walked out of the studio for that one. They, they recorded the song just uh just the other day another one of those you know useless beetle facts i got i've got 20 million of those from, oh no from i always the, love all that i've read about i always love hearing all of those all of those <laughs> band stories this is oh, i'm gonna blow the name of the the group i think that i think they were called mayhem it was like a norwegian death metal band oh, okay. uh, and the, i don't even know why i'm <laughs> just the the uh someone being on a recording that I guess shouldn't have. I don't know why that that triggered this thought for me, but essentially, I in this scene, like one person murdered another person that was like <laughs> in the band, and I the I think it was maybe the drummer, um, said that he'd like re-record the. I think it was the bassist. There's gonna be like one mayhem fan out here that's listening to this. And they're like, this is all wrong, but it was something like the drummer told the the bassist's mom. Like oh I'll re-record this so it it won't because um, I think it, or maybe it was the like or maybe it was the bassist had killed the guitarist or so I don't know it was some something like that and so the drummer was like no like we'll re-record that so that he's not on there but then he didn't know how to do that so the the original bassist who is like a murderer is on this this recording <laughs> of it and I I just it's just one of those like weird stories like you said there's so many of them I, yeah uh, no there's there's, yeah, bands bands do get up to some very strange things. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've you've had some experience with that too. Not actually murder. Yes, guessing, nothing. But uh, nothing to that. I'm level. sure you've you've got a few stories yourself. Yeah, we've got a few a few tales from the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, always. yeah. No, they're always they're always fascinating, and I and I love I always love reading about bands just for that reason. And and in fact, I mean, one of the one of the nicest things that anyone ever said to me about my book is that I've got a friend who's a who's a musician who's had all sorts of experience with you know, bands and touring. And, and when he read my book, he said, oh, I never knew that, that you were in a band. And I said, no, I was I mean, I'm like the worst guitarist in the world. No one <laughs> would, would ever have me in a band, please. And he said, no, but I feel like you really got what it's like to be in a band and to, to do a gig and to, to go through all the crap you have to go through when you're in a band. And, and that was, I was, I was so flattered by that. 
But again, that's what that's what research will do to your writing. It'll make you seem like you're an expert when in fact you know absolutely nothing. <laughs> Hey, fake it till you make it. There's a reason it's a popular rhyme. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. (laughs) So if people want to check out the book, learn more about the Beatles, all that good stuff, where can they find you? Well, I always tell people I, um, because it was my first novel, I went with this, a little publisher. I really like these guys. I want to help them out. It's called Amazon. (laughs) I think I've heard of them. Yeah. And I think with me on board, I think they're going to be okay. So, uh, so yeah, I urge you to help out amazon.com and order my book there and you'll help me and help my, my little friend. <laughs> Always good to support the little guy. I like it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This was delightful. I'm going to go listen to the Beatles while I make dinner now. It's going to be great. Yeah. 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 Play those three songs and tell me which one you like. The best. I will. I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know which one's the best for uh, like sauteing and, and okay, good. cooking good, and all good. that good yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, all right. Well, thank you, Joe. I really enjoyed this too. It was a, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Likewise. And of course, we got to end with a corny joke, as we mm-hmm. always do. What did okay. people say when the Beatles broke up? What? Oh, no. <laughs> Good after today, people. <laughs> the dum bum Yes. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you're a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.